0: Uh, King Solomon wrote this, and it was a song, and he wrote this. We believe it's inspired scripture, holy scripture from God, and it is, the book of Song of Solomon is about, really, the relationship between a husband and wife. Parts of it are when they're courting each other. And uh, then you can see in this chapter, these were married people. And what it does is it gives us an insight into how we should respond to our own spouse. So begin reading with me in uh, Song of Solomon, chapter 5, verse 1. I went to my garden, dear friend, best lover. I want you to note the word friend. This is the man calling his wife his friend. We'll come back to that. Um, Breathed the sweet fragrance. I ate the fruit and honey. I drank the nectar and wine. Celebrate with me, my friends. Raise your glasses to life and to love. Once again, this is the man talking to his wife. Now the woman responds. She said, I was sound asleep, but in my dreams I was wide awake. Oh, listen, it is the sound of my lover knocking calling. And then the man responds, let me in, dear companion, dearest friend, my dove, consummate lover. I'm soaked with the dampness of the night, drenched with dew and shivering and cold. And then the woman responds, but I'm in my nightgown. I just think that's a hilarious thing to be in the Bible. Um, You know, the wife said, I'm in my nightgown. I can't do that. And maybe that is a biblical excuse, all right, uh, ladies, for stuff you don't want to do. But I'm in my nightgown, all right? Um, And she said, I'm in my nightgown. Do you expect me to get dressed? Well, the understanding was, yeah, kind of, you know. She said, I'm in my nightgown. Do you expect me to get dressed? I'm bathed and in bed. Do you want me to get dirty? But my lover wouldn't take no for an answer. And the longer he knocked, the more excited I became. I got up to open the door to my lover, sweetly ready to receive him, desiring and expectant. And as I turned the door handle, but when I opened the door, he was gone. My loved one had tired of waiting and left. I died inside. Oh, I felt so bad. I ran out looking for him, but he was nowhere to be found. I called into the darkness, but no answer. The night watchman found me as they patrolled the streets of the city. And then it says, as we continue on, the the wife talking, they slapped me and beat me and bruised me. Once again, this is poetry. This is a song. This is telling a story of how husband and wife should treat each other. It said, they slapped and beat me and bruised me and ripped off my clothes, these watchmen who were supposed to be guarding the city. I beg you, sisters in Jerusalem, if you find my lover, please tell him I want him, that I am heartsick with love for him. And here's the chorus where the daughters of Jerusalem responded, what's so great about your lover, fair lady? What's so special about him that you beg for our help? And then the woman responds. Now, once again, understand that, yes, this is Holy Scripture, but God is describing in a very poetic way how we should feel about one another, how we should respond to one another. Husbands and wives are actually to love each other. Then you may ask, well, what happens when the romance wears off? Well, you're gonna, I'm going to show you today how to stay connected and how you can, uh, it doesn't matter what the emotions are, when you follow uh, with action, the emotions will follow. So the woman responded, she said, my dear lover glows with health, red-blooded, radiant. He's one in a million. There's no one quite like him. My golden one, pure and untarnished, with raven black curls tumbling across his shoulders. His eyes are like doves, Soft and bright. By the way, this is ancient poetry, okay? I'm assuming that some of this stuff would not be what you would describe as sexy today, all right? But she thought her husband was a stud. That's what she was saying, all right? She thought he was quite a man. He's the golden one, pure and untarnished, with raven black curls tumbling across his shoulder. Now, if you have raven black curls, good for you, all right? I do not, all right. I've got gray hair, but uh, so, and I'm not gonna let it grow to my shoulders, okay? Because my head is already big enough. If I let my hair grow out, I have hair that like grows out and then down. I don't know why. But she was describing him. Uh, with love. His eyes are like doves, soft and bright, but deep-set, brimming with meaning like wells of water. His face is rugged. His beard smells like sage. That does not mean that you got macaroni and cheese in the beard, okay? That's not what he said. There's no leftover dinner in it, okay? But she's saying that he is delightful. He is someone that she loves, His voice, his words, warm and reassuring. Fine muscles ripple beneath his skin, quiet and beautiful. His torso is the work of a sculptor. Now, I got to say, as I look out across the crowd, I doubt there are many that have a great six-pack like this, okay? But it's okay. If you don't have a six-pack, have a keg, all right? That's all you need. Just that the wife responds, okay? It says, uh, his, his torso is like the work of a sculptor, hard and smooth as ivory. Is, he stands tall like a cedar, strong and deep-rooted, a rugged mountain of a man, aromatic with wood and stone. His words are kisses, his kisses words. Everything about him delights me, thrills me through and through. This is my lover that's my man, dear Jerusalem sisters. Now, what we learn from this is that you can have a long, happy marriage by doing two things. Number one, you build your marriage around Jesus. That is critical. Now, does that mean that every Christian couple, every Christian marriage is never going to get a divorce? No, it does not. But The second thing you got to do, and this is critical, this is key, you got to become friends. That doesn't mean that you have to do everything uh, exactly alike. You don't even have to do everything together. Uh, But there are some things you need to do. If you're going to build a marriage that lasts, you got to do three things. Number one, you got to work on your relationship. That's what these people were doing in this beautiful poem. They were working on their relationship. Were there days that they did not feel poetic? I'm sure there were. They were normal people. Once again, this was the way King Solomon felt about his wife and each other. They were in love, okay? And you might say, well, uh, I love her or I love him, but I don't feel like I'm in love any longer. And once again, that is a silly excuse because the truth is there are going to be days that you don't feel like you're in love. You're not going to feel like, ladies, describing your husband as having a marble marble hard torso. All right? Uh, the the longer you're married, the less marbly he might become, and that's okay. But the point is, the way that they spoke to each other, they worked on their relationship. Incredibly important. Uh, God doesn't say that desire and romance and emotions are unimportant. In fact, this entire book, Song of Solomon, is about that. And so God is not suggesting that you not have emotion and that you just live like a robot, but what he is saying is that you need to work on your relationship. Now, the husband described his wife uh, as beautiful. He described her eyes, her hair, her breasts, her lips, her breath, how her lips taste, how her tongue tastes. He described her thighs, her belly, and even her garden. Now, if you're wondering what a garden is, let me just say it's not a bean patch. All right, that's as far as I'll go. Uh, so, So they're describing each other. They are in love. They're willing to touch each other. They're willing to work on their relationship. They realize that Touch is important. They realize that communication is important. They realize that the way they speak to one another is incredibly, incredibly important. Now, Jesus commands us to love our spouse. He also commanded us to love our neighbor and our enemies. Now, what does that mean? Well, emotions cannot be commanded, okay? So he's not talking about feelings He's talking about actions. And this is the key to understanding how to stay connected. You don't depend on how you feel. Some days you're not going to feel in love. You're not going to feel like talking. You're not going to feel good. And that's okay. But commit to loving actions, even when you don't feel good. And when you do that, the emotions will follow. Here's the second thing. You got to work on your friendship. Work on your relationship, but work on your friendship. The man called his wife his dear friend. And in other translations, the wife also calls her husband her lover and her friend. Now, what does that tell us? Well, it tells us that friendship in marriage is very important. And and, and I must say this. One of the things that I love about being married to Kim is that we really are good friends. I love to hang out with her. I love to do things with her, you know? And uh, we both work at the church, okay? And, uh, you know, if you work together, that can be a challenge at times, right? But I love to hang out with her. And that is the reason I believe that we, in 36 years of a marriage, we still love each other, we're still committed to each other, and I still like to be with her. I like to hang out with her. She still makes me laugh, and she amuses me sometimes with the questions that she asks. But we've worked on the friendship. Now, let, let me tell you a couple things about friends. Friends talk to each other. If you're a friend with someone, you talk to them. And that means you've got to learn how to talk to each other in your marriage. And we've already talked about communication, so I'm not going to uh, rehash that. But you can learn to talk to each other. Number two, friends spend time together. And I'm going to tell you that it is easy often, especially for men, to get so consumed with their work. Now, realize that sometimes we don't have control over our schedule with our work. I get that, okay? You can march into your boss and say, I'm not going to work as much, and you might get fired, And so I understand that. But you've got to learn to spend time together. Now, I'm going to go ahead and be bold and say this. You've got time. You just got to make sure that you're managing the time. We all have the same amount of time. I realize some people work more hours than others. But there are choices that you make on a daily basis about your time. You can spend time watching television on social media, on the internet, or piddling around the garage. It doesn't matter what it is. You can spend time doing that, and, or you can make a choice to spend time with your spouse. I'm not suggesting that you should never uh, have a hobby. There is, it's important to have some alone time, okay? But you got to learn to spend time together, And then number three, friends share common goals. What do I mean by that? Well, in 1 Peter 3, verse 8, it says, Finally, all of you should be of one mind. Now, what does that mean? He says, Sympathize with each other. In other words, have sympathy toward each other about feelings and desires and so forth. And it says, love each other. Now, the word sympathize means common passion. You need to have a common passion. Now, does that mean that, husband, if you love to hunt and fish, that your wife has to go hunting and fishing with you? No, it does not. Now, if she wants to, that's great, okay? But, uh, you know, I've never been a hunter or a fisherman, even though I grew up in the country and everybody in my family did. I don't know why. I just never got that interested. I went... Uh, with a friend one time to go hunting for raccoons. And um, I got to tell you, that was one of the worst experiences of my life. We left the house about 11 at night and a bunch of guys out there with their trucks, they let these dogs out and they started talking about stuff that I had no clue what they were talking about. And I thought we were going to chase after the dogs to hunt a raccoon. And they're like, nope. We're going to stand here, and they threw their foot up on the bumper of the truck, and they told lies to each other until they heard the dog, oh, and they called it out. I don't know how they knew the dog's voice, and i put that in quotes, and they're like, oh, she treed one, or oh, he treed one. I didn't even know what that meant, and I said, what are we going to do now? They said, well, we're going to go find the raccoon, and so we followed the sound of the dogs, and we got around the raccoon, and then they grabbed the dog's. And they said, that's it. And I looked, I said, aren't you going to shoot the raccoon? Nope, we're leaving it there. Now it's time to go home. And I thought, this is the worst hunting experience ever. I mean, we did all of this, traipsed through the woods, and we didn't even get the kill, all right? Now, it doesn't mean that you have to like exactly the same things. You might like football, and she may not. But it means you've got to share common passion. And I'll tell you this the way that you share something in common is not in the details of what you like to do. You may like to go hiking, he may not. You may like the beach, he may like the mountains. It doesn't mean you have to like everything exactly the same, but it means that at the highest level, you gotta share the right goals and the right passion. And where that begins is a passion for Jesus Christ, living for God, And it shows how important it is that both husband and wife have this passion for living for God. That's why it says in 1 Corinthians that you shouldn't be married to an unbeliever if you're a Christian. Now, why is that? Because it's impossible for you to share a common passion. It is impossible for you to love Jesus in the same way. And so the friends talk to each other. They spend time together, and then they share common goals, and common passions. And then friends navigate difficult times together. It says in Proverbs, a a friend is closer than a brother. A friend sticks through good times and bad times. And what you've got to learn to do is commit to each other as friends in that way that even when things get difficult, you're going to stay in it. I'll be kind of open about my own marriage. We've been married 36 years, and I can't imagine that there's another person on this planet that would have uh, done more for me and pleased me more than my wife. She is just a wonderful, wonderful person. But there have been times because, you know, starting a church can be extremely stressful. I'm sure that many careers can be very stressful, but there were times that I literally about broke down emotionally. And there were times that I got so angry and so upset and so pulled apart that, you know, I said some things to her that I didn't mean, and I wish I'd never said. And um, the truth is, we made a commitment. And when we got married, we said, we will not discuss divorce. And we never have. We've thought about murder, but not divorce. And the truth is that there are times when you carry heavy burdens. There was a time uh, that I was carrying a secret. Now, it wasn't anything that I had done, but someone that had had an affair and I'd been sworn to secrecy, and I was praying through this, and I was dealing with this, and Kim noticed there was something going on with me emotionally, and she honestly thought that I was having an affair, and I was not. But my point is this. Friends stick through thick and thin. There are going to be times it's difficult. You know why? Because you're married to another fallen human being. You're married to a person who is not perfect, and just in the same way that Jesus commits to us, even when we're not perfect, we should stay committed to our spouse as friends, as lovers, as husband and wife, even when things are difficult. And so, The Bible tells us we got to work on our relationship. We got to work on our friendship and then finally work on your companionship. There's a difference between being a friend and a companion. Listen to Song of Solomon 8 verses 6 and 7. Set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm. Do you get that? That's a permanent seal. It's not only a legal thing, but it's a permanent thing. Set me as a seal upon your arm. For love, notice what he says here, is as strong as death. Now, once again, the things we find romantic in our culture may not, I doubt you're going to see that line in a romantic movie. Oh, I love you to death. (laughs) Uh, I love you. Our love is as strong as death. And you know what that means? It just means it's permanent. When you really love a person and make that commitment, your love is as strong as death. Jealousy is as fierce as the grave. Its flashes are flashes of fire. You get this idea that it's from the Spirit of God, this love that we have for one another, the very flame of the Lord. Love is fiery. Sometimes it fires romantic passion, sometimes it fires anger. Sometimes it fires frustration, but if you've made this commitment in the sight of God and to God and to each other, this idea about working on a companionship, you are in it for the long haul. Then he says, many waters cannot quench love, neither can floods drown it. If a man offered for love all of the wealth of his house, he would be utterly despised. In our culture today, we say things like, you can't buy me love. We write songs about it and sings, and I say we, I didn't write it, but, uh, you know, they write songs and we listen to it and we love that because it really describes the same sentiment. Now, what is it? You got to work on your companionship, work on your friendship. Work on your relationship. And when you do that, you can stay committed for a lifetime. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd help each of us to stay committed completely to each other. God, I pray that, first of all, people would be committed to Jesus. And Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here today that is not committed to Jesus, that today would be the day that they begin that relationship with him. And I pray your blessing over all the marriages, all those that are going to be married, all of those that are contemplating divorce or breaking up. God, I pray that you just speak to them, move in their life. Now, before I finish my prayer, just keep your head bowed if you would. I want to say this. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, I want you to know that God loves you. In fact, he loved you so much, he sent Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, who was in eternity, he became human and lived a perfect life in your place. And he died for your sins, but that's not just what he did. He died to reconcile you to the Father. He died to make you whole, to make you complete. And so today, if you'd say, Pastor I don't have that relationship with Jesus Christ, but I'd like to. How do I do that? Well, it's real simple. The Bible tells us, for whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, what does that mean? In prayer, you ask, God save me. Lord, I may not understand everything there is to understand about the Bible, but I believe Jesus died in my place and rose from the grave, so please save me. You say that prayer in your heart. Online, you say that prayer, and it is a prayer that God always promises to answer, yes, I'll do that. And so I encourage you today to pray that and receive Christ today. Online, please mark at the bottom that you pray to receive Christ, and we can follow up with you. In the room, is there anyone that said, Pastor Richie, I prayed that prayer with you today to receive Jesus as my Savior and begin that relationship with him, with heads bowed? Just raise your hand. Anybody like that, you'd say, I prayed that prayer uh, today. Uh, Just raise your hand high enough and long enough for me to see it. And I encourage you to fill out the card if you prayed that prayer today. And then you can drop it in a bucket or over by next steps on the way out. The Bible says in Proverbs 24, verse 3, it takes wisdom to have a good family, and it takes understanding to make it strong. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would make strong families, people that are committed to you and to each other. In Jesus' name I pray, amen, amen.